Hi, everybody. Welcome to a special bonus edition of Security Management Highlights. I'm your host, the security guy, Chuck Harold. A lot of rumbling up was happening because many of us had not seen something so dramatic all at the same time as everyone else. And it's not just the incidents that we may have seen on the camera, but then we also began to see what was happening in city after city after city after city. And it impacted many of us quite deeply. James Pogue, PhD, is the president and CEO of JP Enterprises. He's an expert speaker, researcher, consultant, and coach in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Dr. James Pogue, welcome to Security Management Highlights, my friend. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Today, we're going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, often referred to as DE&I. Let's give our listeners a definition of that to start the conversation. Sure. Uh, DE&I, obviously, uh, for many, we, would, we know this is an acronym for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And diversity in this space is, um, for many of us that have been working with for a while, really framed as the full range of human difference. And I think that's important because we don't want to lessen or, or take for granted the fact that we all come in different packages. So everything about you and everything about me and everything about the listeners that makes us unique or special or that also binds us together. What we do in our firm is also to capitalize on what we call uh, the big eight. And these are the big components of us that if you were to change one, it would change dramatically how you see the world and how the world sees you. Let, let me list those for you. Race, gender, sexuality, politics, religion, age, socioeconomics, and ability disability. So if we just pick any one of them, and if I was to shift my gender, the world would look at me dramatically differently. And because of what I would have experienced differently, I, I would be looking at the world differently. Or my age, if I were to add or subtract 20 years. My socioeconomics, if I were to add three zeros to my parents' bank account as I was growing up. Or if I was to subtract three zeros from their uh, annual salary uh, when I was growing up. How might that change my school district that I grew up in? how I was uh, understanding bills and money or where we lived, all these kinds of things, ability, disability. If I woke up tomorrow and became uh, uh, unable to walk, or for those of us that might be living our lives uh, in, a, in a sight impaired way to wake up and now you're fully able to see, you can imagine that your life would change dramatically with any of uh, one of these shifting and changing. What I'd like to also make sure that I draw some attention to are the two that we talk very little about, and that is politics and religion. These are areas that sometimes folks are, that is very important for people. Their religious views are how they frame the world. Their political affiliation is how they frame the world. And that's, that's okay. And we can't deny the fact that we all come in a full package and that these big eight, I believe, have a large impact on how the world sees us and how we see the world. You know, th those are very insightful comments because really, as you know, Everything is connected. Everybody's connected to everything. You change one thing, it changes something else. We don't always see that impact. Now, let me ask you this question. Who is driving DE&I initiatives this day? Is it coming from the top down, from the bottom up, from the middle? There's certainly a change going on in the world. Where is this coming from? Sure. I mean, there's, there's an argument for there are some environmental factors that in, impact leaders and or follow, followers differently. So if we take what happened in the, during the summer of 2020, for example, 
and recognize that many of us were um, forced uh, without our consent to watch uh, something happen on our television screens over and over again. To we, Many of us had dumped into our email accounts uh, uh, messages and videos that positioned us to all see something around the same time. It never happened like this before, not in such a dramatic way, given technology and the fact that we were all at home because of what was happening with COVID. So consider now that you have both leaders and followers being dunked into the deep end all at once. The question becomes not just what are we being, what are we seeing, but how is it impacting us? So for many of our team members, say followers or middle managers, et cetera, they had to uh, uh, navigate this idea of what, how am I going to, how am I going to deal with this with my family? How am I going to deal with this at work? In addition to some of the stresses that I might already be fit, uh, uh, dealing with as it relates to work, a lot of rumbling up was happening because many of us had not seen something so dramatic all at the same time as everyone else. And it's not just the incidents that we may have seen on the camera, but then we also began to see what was happening in city after city after city after city. And it impacted many of us quite deeply. Now we've got leaders who are being asked to uh, listen to what their team members have to say in these town halls. So some town hall uh, members or team members are speaking at the town halls and expressing themselves to a leader who is now, let's call it tenderized in a way that, uh, that he or she may not have been before. They're listening in a way that maybe they hadn't before. They're perhaps being forced to listen in a way that they haven't before. And so there, it's happening in, in, in perhaps three buckets. The environment is pushing us. There are team members are, have been empowered, perhaps by the environment or otherwise, to push the leaders. And the leaders are either pushing their organizations or being pushed by those organizations to lead differently. Now, they don't have to. Leaders don't have to lead differently. And team members don't have to react to the pressure that's coming from the environment. But I would say that those are the three, uh, three ways of characterizing where the push is coming from. Now, let's talk about the language. The language of a CEO. And I used to be a COO, so I spoke a language at one time. You know, as CEO, it's focused on financial gain, profits, shareholder, you know, returns. Uh, they drive initiatives down to the team. They have some leadership and vision. That's kind of their job. And that's a certain language that really doesn't really trickle down to, you know, the guy in the mailroom. Mailroom guy isn't involved in profits for shareholders, right? How are the CEOs changing their language now so they're heard at all levels? Because if you don't change that, that type of language you're speaking, no matter what the message is, it's, it's just not going to be heard. Sure. I think, uh, say, two or three or five years ago, uh, maybe even longer, there was a, a connection between diversity, inclusion, and bias or diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives and the bottom line. To make a uh, plain that by, say, for example, widening our hiring pool, our candidate pool, it allowed us to be more competitive in the marketplace that there was a quote unquote war for talent. In order to win that war for talent, you had to find talent in all different shapes and sizes and skin tones and genders and abilities across the board. Otherwise, you were limiting your pool of talent and limiting the talent you might be able to hire, promote and retain. In today's environment, I think that there is a different uh, language that needs to be utilized. So I think that first one is more easily uh, driven down uh, from the, the C-suite or from the board into the HR practices and the hiring managers. However, th this sort of humanistic side of 
Uh, we want to treat people well. We want to be empathetic. We want to be authentic in how we de de deliver on our, our value proposition about uh, treating our teams well. Well, that's a little different. And that's a harder one to drive through the organization if, if only because we have all been taught or learned over time a variety of things from middle school up until now. And some of those things do not include knowledge around race and gender and sexuality and, and all the other uh, dibs, big eight or diversity pieces that I, I mentioned before. So the skill set that we need is to be able to have the discussions, but we also have to have the knowledge with which to have the, the conversations about. So I think that you're 100% accurate that there is a um, an alignment that needs to happen through the organization. But in order for that alignment to happen, everyone has to be level set to by the leaders and by the leadership to say, this is important. And then the secondary uh, alignment has to be around, here's the language that we're going to use uh, moving forward. And then there also has to be a set of goals in, uh, that come out of it, which is we are going to learn how to talk about and struggle through difficult conversations that have something to do with diversity, inclusion, bias, and equity. I think that the key here, and you just said it, is empathy. And isn't empathy really a state of being, a way to act? Because I can talk about empathy, but unless I'm empathetic, I don't care what, what I say. It has to come through the actions. Is this a better place to start with leadership, to actually practice empathy, and everything below it is going to fall into place that you're talking about? Because if you have empathy at every level of what you just discussed, it's really a seamless transition. I think that there is some some uh, some, some serious value in what you're sharing. Yes, empathy is that uh, from a ten thousand foot view, your ability to care about the person across from you, to be in it for them, right? To to do your best to jump underneath their skin and say, okay, uh, what might they do, or what are they think, or what are they feeling, and then react and lead, or act and lead accordingly. The, there's a reverse to that, however, that the person that you're trying to be, a person you're trying to be empathetic towards, they can see it, they can feel it, they can taste it, they can sense it, is the, the, the authenticity that has to come with the empathy. So that now we have, with these two bundled together, we're much more closer to having a trusting relationship. The, the last piece I would say is once you have this empathy and this authenticity and this trusting relationship, it has to be identified for and towards folks. And so if, if you're not careful, you can um, uh, accidentally be authentic and empathetic in a biased way. You can, un you can unconsciously be empathetic towards a group of people and ignore the fact that there's a group of people on the other side of the fence that are, that are different because you just haven't been trained up that way, trained to see, trained to hear, trained to feel that although somebody may look similar or they have a similar position, or be at a similar position in the organization, they have a different experience day to day. And so that's where some of our uh, unconscious and conscious buying, bias training has to come into play. It has to be comprehensive. Uh, there is no one solution to the, to the challenge. It's sort of like if you wanna try to fix the economy in any given bad economic year, you don't do it by flipping one light switch. You do it by moving all a bunch of switches all at one time and paying close attention as you go. All right. I, I hear you. That's valid. I, I just think that empathy in the purest form will address everybody one time. But I hear what you're saying, because you can you can appear sympathetic. By the way, not the same word. Sympathy and empathy, not the same. We can't mix those up because if we do. It's going to be a big fat mess. Sure. 
So I think that that makes a lot of sense. Now, you did touch on this, and I'm just going to say this for it because I think you were trying to say that 2020 has really screwed stuff up. I mean, the paradigms, the models, everything we've been working on, 2020 flipped. Give us some some insight into how uh, DE&I has, has changed in, in light of COVID and, and 2020 because, you know, it could have been, it could have gone better or worse. Where are we with it? I, I, it feels to me it's getting better. I think it's it's depending on who you ask. It's it's sort of like um, when there's a new piece of technology that's out there. You have the early adopters, right? They're, they're the ones who are going to stand in line to get 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 that phone first, to get that piece of technology first. And then there's going to be others that watch and see. I don't know. I'm not going to stay overnight outside of the electronic store to, to buy this widget. Instead, I'm going to wait and see how this thing goes and make sure all the bugs are out of it. So I think we're in that second phase. The, the early adopters who are already interested, already researching this, already engaged in some diversity work, or those that had an explosion that happened in their organization and have to react right now, I think they're engaged there. They've, they've been more than gotten their feet wet. Uh, and so things are, are, are moving forward. But if we're not careful, we can gloss over uh, some of the massive changes still needs to happen. I think we're really talking about a tip of the iceberg that has been revealed. Um, and again, th this is one of the, um, the terrible beauties of a COVID situation. By that, I mean that, um, say, the, the racial issues that have transpired over the course of 2020 are right now being uh, revealed in an additional way as the vaccine comes out. As many of us are learning, you know, you got a lot of black and brown people and other disenfranchised groups that are hesitant about this vaccine. Well, why is that? Well, we're starting to learn in many ways that both black and brown populations, the indigenous populations as well, have had horrible experiences with uh, city, federal and state um, health, health uh, agencies over time experimenting on their bodies and treating them with uh, as, as lab rats as opposed to fully fledged humans. So now there's a connection between the lack of trust that some people uh, of color have in the healthcare system and the need to have more of these kinds of people in the healthcare system so that the numbers on the vaccines can, can make, uh, make sense and be, be uh, more efficacious. Secondly, we begin to see, uh, if I can just stay on this theme for, for a moment, the healthcare disparities that, that happen uh, across uh, these populations. Those are starting to be revealed and stories are being done on those in a variety of ways. So we start off 2020 I uh, shouldn't say start off the middle of 2020 with social justice concerns around law enforcement and people of color. And now we, as we're the, as the, as the, uh, the year closes, we are starting to hopefully have some conversations around uh, uh, issues around healthcare and issues with people of color. So my, my point is simply that although things may be looking like they're getting better because we had our early adopters getting out there and they're very loud and they're very active. A lot of the CEOs and organizations are pushing really hard to make some stuff happen. You may have heard as I have that the, uh, that the largest number of C-suite uh, vacancies that have been filled or expanded are chief diversity officer. I think that's fantastic as a, as a, as a flat understanding. And, it, and it, it draws a lot of attention to what this issue might be. But we have to make sure that in all of our learnings and all of our getting, we get also an understanding of what happened on the on the front end before this, and that this may just be the tip of a very large iceberg, uh, and that iceberg is going to connect to a, a bunch of different industries and a bunch of different uh, understandings and learnings along the way. Well, those are excellent points, and really, don't they all tie back to one thing? Everybody wants to feel safe. 
everybody. It's a, it's a common denominator among every human being on earth. And to feel safe, that includes what? Security. And so it really ties into what we're talking about today as far as the security industry. Now, I got, I got a challenge for you, all right? I was raised by an African-American stepmother. I have stepbrothers and sisters. I have a half-sister. My wife's from Argentina. Rainbow family over here. Tell me how, how I am different, right? To your, to your original point, if we change one thing about somebody, it changes perception. Tell me how I might be perceived given my background and how that helps the, how it helps the cause really. Well, I think, you know, a person with your background, your resume, if you, if you will, if, if people make assumptions that you have a deeper understanding of any of these cultures simply because of your background, that assumption can get us in trouble. What one should do is tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, can you talk to me about how your experiences have informed your decision making, informed your growth, informed your relationships that you formed on your own? Because you, your family, you know, you were kind of born into that, right? You're just, that's what it was. But once you started to make your own decisions, where you lived, who your friends were, um, who you decided to go to, where you decided to go to school and, uh, and, or if, and if you went to the military and who you connected with and you have, who you have these deep relationships with, how, how that family dynamic connects to these decisions, how those family dynamics taught you things you didn't otherwise know. I have I have a friend, for example, uh, who was in a city who lives uh, was raised in a situation like yours, uh, with a very uh, uh, colorful family, if you will. And he, these are his brothers and sisters and cousins. But when they go out, nobody recognizes them that way. And he, as a white guy, is treated has been, I should say, treated differently than his cousin or his sister, who was right next to him or the next person in line. And they are treated different, even though their economics are the same, their language is the same, their, their education is the same. And so how do those kinds of things impact your leadership? How do those kinds of things impact your fellowship and, their, and your relationships moving forward? So I think we have to look past the, the resume and the assumptions that might come with it, that might uh, um, inform some of our conscious and unconscious biases, and seek to have the conversations that unpack the understanding. And what, has, what we've done, I think, in the past is try to do a lot of um, fast food diversity education, when in fact, it takes, a, it takes a long time to become adept at one's own uh, ability to recognize diversity in others and inclusion uh, and, and that I give and inclusion that I receive. That, that takes time. And for, for many of us, we have spent our lifetimes in, uh, in a, broadly speaking, educational situation, a social education in, in addition to formal education, uh, not learning these things or and or learning a series of bad habits and bad assumptions that we then have to unlearn. James Pogue, PhD. We're speaking about DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion in the security industry. James, fascinating conversation. We could go on for hours about this. Excellent points. Thank you so much for coming on Security Management Highlights, my friend. I really enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. This is fantastic. I look forward to being able to share more moving forward.